This is Perspective, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley. Saturday, November 17th in Old Fourth Ward Park, do something good for the community. Purple Stride Atlanta is the walk to end pancreatic cancer. Pancreatic cancer is the world's toughest cancer. It's the third leading cause of cancer death in the United States. More than 55,000 Americans will get that diagnosis this year. Our guest is Elise Roth-Tedeschi. She's a wife, a mother of two sons, and a near seven-year pancreatic cancer survivor. And that's something to cheer because the five-year survival rate is only 9%. Welcome. So nice to have you. Thank you for having me. So let's just begin by walking through the details of this great event that you guys started in Piedmont Park more than a decade ago. We're hoping to raise around $400,000 for um, PanCan, which is the Pancreatic Action Network. I love this year. We're at Old Fourth Ward. It's really early on a Saturday. Uh, the race actually starts um say race, but it's a walk or a run, whatever you like. Uh, it starts at 8.15 in the morning. Uh, so you'll be done and ready to have your day and feel great and raise some money for a great cause. How'd you get involved with the organization? For me personally, in January of 2012, I got diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. I was young, 43, and uh, my, I always say I had, at the time, my boys were in kindergarten and second grade, and uh, getting that news was just devastating. I really, you know, all I knew about pancreatic cancer at that time was just don't get it because the... You know, the statistics are really bad with it. Um, and you felt like you'd gotten a death sentence, didn't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, had you been sick? Were you experiencing symptoms? Is that something for someone battling pancreatic cancer? Like you're just not feeling good, something's going on, and you yeah. go get checked, and then they run the blood work and come back and have that conversation. Yeah, so I, I think, honestly, a lot of doctors miss it. and I And I think for myself, I think they missed it because of my age. Um, and, you know, I, I think at the time when I got diagnosed, I think the average age was 70. It was mostly male, big smokers, big drinkers, but I was none of those things. So, uh, for me, I had really horrific back pain and, um, kind of on one side and I started to lose weight, but it just, I felt my stomach wasn't right. Uh, probably seven, eight months earlier to my diagnosis, I remember feeling like my stomach was just like on fire and um, went and saw my internal medicine doctor who did a CT, who didn't do a CT scan, but did a uh, MRI, came back with a slightly bulging disc, was sent to do uh, physical therapy, um, and then ended up getting a couple of uh, of epidural blocks to make my back feel better, but guess what? None of them worked. Nothing felt better. I started seeing a pain management doctor because the pain just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I was really feeling bad. And it, I felt like the pain maybe made me not want to eat. So I kept losing weight, losing weight, losing weight. Right around Thanksgiving time, I guess now it's been, uh, I would say, seven years to now. I just was miserable. I couldn't even sit in a car for that long because my back hurt so bad. So my my pain management doctor actually, you know, had suggested to um, 
he he thought, I think that you might have a gut issue going on. So I actually ended up uh, seeing um, another internal medicine doctor who then did a CT scan and lo and behold, saw this massive tumor uh, either on or near my pancreas. And honestly, it took a whole nother month to finally get diagnosed. So I actually had to go to Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa in January of 2012 and got diagnosed. And when they initially diagnosed me, um, we were able to send all of our biopsies and um, any of the testing that I had done. And at that point said that I have a locally advanced pancreatic cancer. But then with more testing that they did, they did a PET scan, they did full on another CT scan. And uh, I was actually stage four. It was in my liver at that point and there were spots on my on my lungs. So wasn't good. It was inoperable at that point, too. Uh, it had been wrapped around major artery and really bad news. If you don't mind, take us back to that day when you're, you're getting the diagnosis in, in, at the, the Moffitt Center down in, in South Florida. What they, what, how do they do that? Um, they actually had a, a team of doctors surrounded us. So I, um, I went down there with my sister. Um, my sister is a breast cancer survivor. And, um, I mean, they were pretty, they didn't sugarcoat it. Uh, you know, they, they said, you've locally advanced. And at that point, when I met with the whole team, um, what I loved is that they were all pretty optimistic. They're like, but you're, you know, you're young. And then also, um, my sister had been a patient there and knew that she was um, BRCA2 positive. So she had that gene mutation of BRCA. And... Um, it was pretty likely that I had that as well. And believe it or not, it was actually a good thing and not a bad thing for me because they actually said that um, with that BRCA BRCA2 mutation that it's probably what, what actually caused my pancreatic cancer. In a lifetime of someone, it's a 4 to 8% chance in someone's lifetime if they are BRCA2 positive, um, it's 4 to 8% possibility that they will get pancreatic cancer. and um, But they also said, the fact that I was positive, that if, if in fact I was, that the chemo regimen that they uh, had prescribed me, that it actually works a little better. The, the tumor is a little bit more sensitive to it. And so they actually kind of put you in a little bit of a different category. So what was actually didn't want to have that gene mutation, but actually, now that I'd had pancreatic cancer, it was a good thing. So once the team of physicians gave you your diagnosis, what did they decide was going to be your course of treatment? Getting that diagnosis was awful. And actually, when I was at Moffitt, we had another meeting with a doctor afterwards who really shared the results of all my tests down there. And it's funny because I actually don't remember him saying stage four. And I remember him saying that, you know, something about treating me like stage three. And so my sister actually had stayed uh, talking to the oncologist while I went down to pain management and had uh, what's called a celiac plexus block. Fast forward, they were able to work with my oncologist here in Atlanta. And when I met with her, uh, I was saying something about me being stage three. And she actually goes, no, you're, you're really stage four. I mean, it was truly like new news for me because I really didn't know that. And it, it was definitely a shock. And I said to her, and she showed me, she goes, no, you, you have you have lesions in your liver and you've got spots on your lungs. And um, and so I just looked at her and I said, 
but do you think I'm going to die from this? And her being, you know, she was honest and said, probably, probably yes. And I said, well, you need to call my doctor. I thought it was a bit of a miracle that she actually got in touch with my doctor. And so uh, my husband and I, we were touring the facility and all that. And she asked to, for us to come back and see her. And she goes, okay, we're treating you like stage three. So quite honestly, now knowing nothing really changed in my in my treatment plan at that point. But psychologically, I needed to hear like I felt like I needed just a little bit of hope. So it was it was definitely scary. But, you know, this this journey was really for me. Um, I, I grew up Jewish. Um, my husband grew up Catholic. And, um, you know, we both believed in God and that sort of thing. And um, I just remember at that time thinking, like, I just need to pray because this is so much bigger than us. And um, I had friends that invited us to go to their church and um, had another friend, uh, one of my son's friend's uh, father come over, who I really didn't know, kind of like a stranger just knocked on the door, came in and said, hey, I really want to pray with you. And this is before I got diagnosed, and I was kind of like, okay. You know uh, there are angels among us. Oh, yeah. So he came and prayed with us, and I just felt like, wow, that was just so nice. So once I got diagnosed, I said, you need to come back here and pray with us. So he prayed with my husband and myself and I, and this guy is a big guy. He's, like, played football in college, and my husband's pretty tall, and here I'm, like, 5'3", and I'm holding hands with both of them. And as he is talking um, and, and praying and super powerful prayer, um, he as he's praying, I, I start to feel like, I'm I'm going to pass out. And I felt this, I mean, it sounds so surreal. And I think if I, it would be hard for me to believe this of someone else if they told me this, but true, 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 true story. I felt this heat go through my whole body. I was shaking. I I felt, all I was thinking is like, he, need, he needs to hurry up so I could go and, and get sick, you know? So eventually he finishes. I run, I run to our bathroom and it just, it just stops. I mean, like the heat, everything kind of goes away, and I'm I'm sitting there, and my my hairline's all wet from sweating, and it's January, and I come back out, and I said, "What was that?" You know, and he's like, "God is in your house. God is in your house." So it set us on this just really what I would say a crazy, amazing journey, and. Shortly thereafter, you know, you get this horrible news. You know, my the doctor had said, you, most people in your, he wouldn't say me, because, but he would say, most people in your condition don't survive longer than nine months. Um, so having had that, and I, and I begged him to tell me that, like, how long do I have to live? And I remember him saying to me, you don't need to know that. You don't need to know that. And I said, not that I'm going to believe it, but I just want to know what I'm dealing with. And so uh, a few days after our friend Dwayne came up and prayed with us, I looked at my husband. I go, I know you might think I'm just completely nuts, but I'm okay with all of this. I'm, I just have this peace about everything. Like, I know I'm going to be okay. And my husband was just excited that I said that because 
he said, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you said that because I feel the same way, too. But I didn't I didn't want to say anything to you to make you feel like I was thinking this is less serious than it actually was. So it it became this just amazing journey. And trust me, chemo and everything. It was tough. It was so what did you do chemo? Because you said earlier that it was inoperable because mm-hmm. you it had spread to your liver. There were spots on your lungs. So so and the, the tumor is actually wrapped around a major artery. So really inoperable. So um, so I did uh, a chemo cocktail. So they say is um, it's four drugs. It was called fulfarinox. Um, it was at the time certainly the most aggressive chemo that you could get. Um, you know, plenty of side effects with it and such. Um, I would have it for a day, uh, a full day in um, in the infusion office. Um, and I'd say a shout out to the all the nurses at Piedmont West. They were just amazing. And um, I would do that all day on Friday and go home with a pump as well. And it would usually end as we were walking out of church on Sunday. So I did that. I did 12 rounds of that. So it was every other week. Definitely side effects, neuropathy. Um, I got down to um, 89 pounds. Whoa. Um, One thing that sort of worked for me is that I just wanted my life to be as normal as possible. And then also, if in fact I did have only nine months to live, my boys were so little. How old were your boys at the time? They were six and eight. And and people always ask us, too, how we share that news. In case you're just joining us, our guest in the studio is Elise Roth-Tedeschi. She is a six-year pancreatic cancer survivor. Yes, six years. And you just heard her tell us that they told her nine months. And she's the uh, media chair for Purple Stride at Atlanta coming up on Saturday, November 17th in historic Fourth Ward Park. Uh, 6.30 registration, 7.30 opening ceremonies, 8.15 run walk. But you said, Elise, your boys were six and eight. Right. They were in kindergarten and second grade. And I mean, they knew before I got diagnosed, they knew that I was miserable. I mean, there was actually a time where I I couldn't even get up and I had my my six-year-old or my eight-year-old put my six-year-old to bed one night. You know, it's just awful. And so when I found out what it was, um, we never, we in the beginning, we, we decided not to tell them it was cancer because the summer prior, we both, um, my husband and myself, we both had an uncle that had passed away from cancer and we didn't want to scare them necessarily. Um, and so, and, and then, you know, kind of time went on and we really just kind of said, look, there's something inside of mommy that shouldn't be in there. And so I'm going to be taking some medicine that's going to probably make me a little sicker, but it's going to help with what's inside of me get out. And it was pretty much in the simple terms. And, you know, we we started um, we started going to Passion State Church and and. I, you know, we would pray together as a family, and I think that gave us a lot of peace as well. Um, I found my, uh, my both my kids, but especially my little one, was just a little powerful prayer. He just got really into it, and um, and I and I try to live my life as normal as possible. I would still go to soccer games on the weekend with my lovely chemo pump. Um, I I actually still worked. I had a home office, and. I work was a part of who I am. And um, 
I worked for a company at the time that was just extremely supportive. My boss was really supportive. My team was and kind of knew when I needed some, you know, that they needed to step in a little bit more. I stepped back a little bit, had a bit of chemo brain, so I had to really write down everything and not repeat myself. But, um, you know, I think really if I had stayed in bed every day and just kind of allowed it to happen to me, I think I would have had a completely different result. Yeah, so there was no woe is me for you or for your family. No, and I, one, one thing that I did do too is it was initially it was really hard to tell people what was going on because I would tell someone and then I'd get their reaction. And sometimes there's me consoling them saying I'm going to be okay, and they're crying their eyes out. So I ended up writing a great email saying, hey, this is what's going on. Um, I don't want a pity party. Don't feel sorry for me. It is what it is. You didn't give this to me. And this is what I need. And I basically said, I need your prayers. Call me if you want to talk about it. Love to talk to you about it. Um, But I want your positivity I want you to still be able to rely on me, um, and, and I think it helps sort of set the tone. So I asked you about the worst day, getting the diagnosis. Tell us about the best day. I mean, you're six years cancer-free. The, the first opportunity that you learned your oncology treatment was successful. There's a great story beforehand before I learned that, so um, if I can share that. Yes. There, um, so I'd gone through chemotherapy, and then I went through another... I went through 25 rounds of radiation along with a a 24-hour chemo pump, um, and I did that in Tampa at Moffitt. And um, so after that, I had to be off of everything for a month. And I have to tell you, it was the hardest month because I felt like I wasn't really fighting anything. And And I remember saying to my doctor, hey, if you want me to do some more chemo, I got this. I can totally do this, you know? And he's like, no, no, no. You have to be off of everything for a month. So during that month, um, a a friend of mine who I met through mutual friends, um, and we never met in person, but we had emailed a bunch and such, and I felt we were very much alike. And she had late stage four melanoma. And um, during that month, I had found out um, I was kind of away, and then I came back, and my husband said, hey, your friend Tara passed away um, this past weekend and or during the week, and it just, it just put me in this tailspin, and even more so um, when I started talking to her husband, um, you know, just kind of asking him, how you doing? He's like, I'm doing okay. But then I said, well, how are you really doing? And I remember he said, the days are busy and all that, and, but the nights are just horrific. And I just, it put me in this mode of, gosh, you know, is that going to be my husband? You know, my boys are so young. Is that going to be my kids without a mother? And it really, it was by far the hardest time, even, even, even harder than getting the diagnosis, quite honestly. And it was just kind of a reality of like, this is very feasible. And... I, that night, um, I mean, I had been crying for like three days straight. My boys were like, mommy, why are you so upset? And I'm like, I'm just so sad for my friends and trying to explain that because they'd never seen that in me. 
And uh, so then um, the, that night, I actually, I just cried and I prayed and I cried and I prayed. I had such this burden and, and just this, I just felt just complete despair. And, and I know people going through cancer feel that way a lot. And, um, and so I cried and prayed and cried and prayed and basically fell asleep. And I woke up that next day and it was truly a new day. Like it was... Like in a sense, all my prayers were answered. I, I was so joyful, and I remember waking up and saying to my husband, "I'm okay," and he said, "Yeah," and I said, "Yeah, I just have really good dreams. I just know I'm okay." And then the next thing I actually said to him was, "I don't think I have cancer anymore," and he looked at me and I go, "I know. I just said that. You know, it was just kind of <laughs> like really," and believe it or not. Two weeks later, I had to have scans and had a full PET scan, CT scan, the whole bit. And my doctor walks in, and we do this song and dance of, how you doing? I'm like, I don't know. How am I doing? And he's like, really, Lisa, how you doing? And I said, I I feel pretty good. I've been, you know, no chemo, no radiation, no nothing for a month. I feel pretty amazing, actually. And he said, well, Lisa, you should because— Nothing lit up in your PET scan. You have absolutely no active cancer. And I was just floored. And and that time was like when I went into that in that scan, it's truly like the first time that I just felt at peace going going to get that scan because usually, you know, you stress out, you know, they call it scan scan anxiety. I absolutely thought you would always feel that way. And going in that one just had this crazy sense of peace. And I remember thinking, I just want a little bit of good news. But getting that news, I was completely floored. And that was six years ago? That was, uh, it was October 4th, 2012. <laughs> wow. And now your boys are tweens and teens, I guess? Yeah, one is about to be 13 uh, in a few weeks. And my other one uh, just turned 15. So I am definitely a regular mom. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because they have, throughout this journey, I, I feel like, I don't think they really understood the gravity of it and and now you get checked what every six months yeah I get checked every six months so far so good so far so good and uh, even even had done a cutting-edge surgery uh, because the time when they when I got this great PET scan the the tumor or sort of like the dead cancer was still there and it was still two centimeters and it was still wrapped around that artery so that happens a lot with pancreatic cancer patients and um, there is a, a, a sort of a newer procedure. It's gone on for quite a quite some time now. It's becoming more popular. It's called the IRE, um, and it is, or people have heard it as nano knife. And what they do is they go in. It was a pretty massive surgery. They went in and they basically take these prongs and they shock the tumor, and the 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 holes in those bad cells fill with calcium and they have cell death. It absolutely worked for me and and for and that does happen a lot where it's inoperable in that sense. So I did have to make sure it wasn't metastasized anymore. It the chemo had taken care of my my liver, my lungs, uh, which I'm so thankful for and um, was able to have the surgery. Well friends, if you did not know and believe that miracles indeed do happen. Absolutely. That God is good 
all the time and all the time, God is good. Elise Roth Tedeschi's story is a grand testimony to that. I'm so glad that you are well. For your husband, for your boys. Friends, you should support Purple Stride Atlanta Run Walk coming up on Saturday, November 17th in historic 4th Ward Park. Registration starts at 6.30. Ceremonies begin at 7.30. Run Walk gets going at 8.15 a.m. Their goal, to raise $400,000. If you want more information, want to get involved, be there Saturday morning, or if you're wanting to sleep in Saturday morning but have been touched by Elisa's story and want to give to the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network and support Purple Strides, where do they find you guys online? It's uh, pancan.org. Elise, thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you. Good luck next weekend. Thank you. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, MyAndalusCondo29 on Twitter, or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.